Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. And the truth shall set you free. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We offer you the bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley, hello. And today we are talking about a movie from 1987. Another movie from our childhoods. La Bamba. <laughs> La Bamba. I'm going to ask you to say it with the accent. La Bamba. He doesn't even speak Spanish. Why would I say it with an accent? I don't know. Where can people view La Bamba? Which is currently streaming on your buddy, Netflix. But get on it because it might disappear. They tend to do that. So La Bamba was on television all the time. We definitely had a copy on VHS. Or did we? Yep. Or was it just on that often that it felt like we did? I think both. I think we recorded it. It's like The Wizard of Oz, right? You have a recording of it somewhere, but if it shows up on TV, that's dad's still his kind of uh, MO for watching stuff. If it shows up, he'll get mom and be like, okay, four o'clock, this and this is coming on. And I'm like, you know, we have that DVD on the shelf in the other room, right? It just, I mean, they're old. Yeah. But they get all excited and they DVR it. Yeah. It's the, it's like the event. Exactly. They're old and they're, they like need stuff. Yeah, to but it could be to. on like TBS or whatever. And it has commercials. And they'll still record it. Yeah, but it's like planned bathroom and food breaks. Yeah. But I do remember watching La Bamba a lot. You know what was the single most standout moment of La Bamba that I remember? What's that? When Bob gets in a fight with like his family and Rosie on the home video and then does the Dracula thing again. He's the like doing thing. it all. He's like all hamming it up at first. And then he like gets in a fight and they're like all arguing and stuff. And then he sees the cameras on him again. And he and he puts his collar up and he does the Dracula thing. Dude, that is etched yeah. in my memory that this movie recalled that up from someplace very deep. So you had almost no recollection of it? I didn't recall it prior to seeing the movie. No. But when we were in the home video scene, I got this weird Matrix type premonition that it was coming but the movie in general you don't remember it all that well um it's definitely been a while but yeah i mean there were a lot of adult things that i either didn't remember or weren't in the tv movie version yeah so as as it goes la bamba is probably a fairly typical musical biopic right 
Yeah, I guess so. It's pretty straightforward. There's not much life to speak of considering how young he was when he passed. Spoiler. (laughs) But for our age growing up, in 1987, this really wasn't a standard. We hadn't seen many of these. I'm not sure how we came upon these movies, maybe because mom is Mexican and and we identified or she identified maybe with the Richie Valens story, but uh, had nothing to base this on. This was probably our first musical biopic. And so... Thinking about this movie critically, probably for the first time, I was watching to see how closely it adhered to those musical biopic conventions. But I think this is a pretty effective one. Uh, Because recently, relatively recently, we reviewed Judy, which I think we kind of summed up as being a movie kind of built around Renee Zellweger's performance. We got some aspects of Judy Garland's personal life, but not really much fleshed out in the way of the uh, of the additional characters aside from Judy Garland whereas La Bamba arguably is as much about Connie or about Bob as it is about Richie right not only is Isai Morales the top billed actor but he's also the main character and i didn't realize that this was like Lou Diamond Phillips breakout performance Certainly, Bob is a colorful character, and he informs a lot of what happens to Richie throughout the movie. The uh, movie kind of starts and is framed around their sort of coming back together as brothers in a family with Bob moving in, or Bob, you know, living with, uh, with the Valenzuelas. But um, I wondered if, if maybe Richie didn't have a tremendous amount going on. I mean, he was just a kid. This movie spans his life between 16 and 17, and, uh, you know, a lot happens, but most of that is largely due to Bob. Yeah. And not only is he just a kid, but he's definitely portrayed as a saint. I mean, he literally dies a virgin. Yeah. And uh, Bob certainly did not. Died about a year and a half ago from uh, prostate cancer. Uh, Died with a mohawk and 30 grandchildren. 30? Yep. And I think with Rosie or one of his first wives, he had seven kids and ended up with eight in total. Whoa. Yeah. Abuelito. Yeah, so Isai Morales definitely had a lot to do. Uh, upon rewatching it, I feel like he chewed a little bit. Not hammy, but he definitely played up everything. I felt like all the characters were a little heightened. Richie Valens was so incredibly confident and good. And his mom was so animated in her love for her son. And similarly, Bob was a little harder to sum up, but similarly heightened. I think maybe that was a directorial choice. Maybe that was a Luis Valdez influence. And we can get to that because that dude hadn't done a lot. I'm actually really surprised by how well this movie holds up, given that he's only directed a couple of features and hasn't done a tremendous amount since. I think he directed a TV movie. But uh, as far as I know, he was teaching after this. But Hmm. for this one to stand out, I mean, I don't know that La Bamba comes up in the discussion of great movies from the 80s. It certainly was the introduction to Lou Diamond Phillips, who became a major star, and nobody forgot La Bamba. But I don't know that uh, it ranks up there with the best of the musical biopics as a genre itself. Yeah, it may not be ranked up there, but it's maybe it had something to do with the proliferation of TV and VHS. But I feel like everybody watched this movie over and over as a kid. I mean, Brian was like, oh, we definitely had this ripped on VHS. We definitely watched this over and over again. And I was kind of surprised, like, they had TV out in Ohio? <laughs> was it a Latino thing? Oh, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Because mom definitely liked this movie. I wonder, I should, we should tell mom and dad to watch it. Oh, yeah. Kelly knew Lou Diamond Phillips for sure, but I said stand and deliver, and she went, oh, okay. And I was like, really? That's the one? 
but uh, and then he was on like Longmire and a couple of shows. But honestly, uh, you know, he kind of went the way of Ralph Macchio come the 90s. Didn't do a tremendous amount after that, at least not that was high profile. But I was surprised as well because we know his name. And for that to be his first movie, I thought he did a really good job. Yeah. I felt like his guitar playing was convincing. And I don't think he had any musical talent. Uh, obviously, he didn't sing his own songs. I just felt that he had that kind of fresh-faced exuberance, and maybe he was all in and threw himself into a role because this was kind of his opportunity. He's definitely said that he wouldn't have had a career or anywhere near the same trajectory had he not done La Bamba. Yeah. Well, it was a great introductory role. Really great. Really electric. But I can throw a, throw that for a curve. Um, he was obviously a hustler and trying to get as much work in Hollywood as he could to be an actor at a young age. He was already 25 by the time he played 16, 17-year-old Richie Valens, but he was up for the Bob role and was for quite a while. And it wasn't until pretty late in discussions that he was uh, kind of switched over to Richie. And apparently once that happened, then it was full speed ahead. And Isai Morales is technically eight months younger than Lou Diamond Phillips. No way. And plays his older brother by something like four years. If you look at that guy, he always seemed like an older brother type and definitely a tough motorcycle kid, but he was pretty baby-faced under that little mustache. <laughs> well, they got rid of the age discrepancy issue, if it was one, pretty quickly and easily and eloquently by him saying, you're pretty big for 16, man, or something to that effect. Um, you know who was a name? Who? Rick Dees. Rick, <laughs> Rick Dees. Well, I mean, he's definitely a DJ from another era. Yeah. You know, where they still had that affected voice and they talked real big. But they got him and they used him. He was in, he was everything from the DJ to the news reporter to being on the radio several <laughs> times. It was, it was the Rick D's show. And I think that may have been the case in the, in the, in the uh, 80s in LA anyway. Do you know I skipped school to go and meet Rick D's at a gas station? How did that go? He was having a public appearance at a Chevron that was opening up in Torrance. And there was this massive crowd of surging teenagers. And as Rick Dees made his way from the Quickie Mart to his trailer that was parked in the gas station parking lot, I like surged through the throng of people and was like, Rick Dees, Rick Dees, can I get your autograph? And he was like, what's your name? And I was like, Harris. And then he like got ushered into his trailer. And then I was like all waiting all anxiously and like the the crowd was like pulsating around his trailer and then some handler like popped out of the trailer door and was like is there an iris is there an iris and I was like me me and he like thought I was lying and was like is there an iris and I was like no it's really me and he gave me a note with Rick D's photo on it from like 20 years prior and it said iris I love you Rick D's oh my god that's even worse that's even worse than get good grades Stay in school, which would have been ironic because you ditched school to go there. Uh, I still have oh, it in man. memory box. Yeah, no, we're going to scan that and we're going to put it up for this review. <laughs> but when I saw Rick Dees, I was like, okay, he looks kind of weird, but also that's Rick Dees. Yeah, they're all radio personalities. As a matter of fact, all voice actors, uh, all voice personalities look weird. Um, So I was excited to see Rick Dees. Not a lot of other heavy hitters. I mean, not that he is, but like not a star-studded cast. Nope. It was firmly rooted in my memory that the lady who played uh, Connie 
was nominated for an Academy Award, the sole nominee of this movie. That was not the case, nor a Golden Globe. This did get a, a nod for Best Picture for the Golden Globes for 87, but beyond that, not a lot of accolades heaped on this as well, although it did pretty well critically. So it was a recognized film in its time. It was recognized enough in that I think it's a solid, you know, movie about a musician. Um, but like you said, no one to really anchor this cast or really get it off the ground for uh, for box office in terms of celebrity. And yet all pretty solid performances. Yeah. And I think that helped. I mean, not to have, you know, like a Tom Hanks or someone. I guess Joey Pants was pretty famous in the 80s. Joey Pants? As the other Bob, Keen. Oh, yeah. Coon? Yeah, he was definitely around a lot in the 80s. But in that way, because it wasn't a recognizable face and we had been introduced to to Lou Diamond Phillips as kids, uh, it really helped to make that immersive and to make those almost seem like the real people. Yeah. I had once kind of uh, accused Kelly of not knowing the words to La Bamba because she's super white. but uh, And then she sang it like top to bottom in perfect Spanish, which what? was kind of shocking. No. But I did find out after this movie that the Los Lobos recording of La Bamba, so the band, you know, stood in for Richie Valens in this movie. Lou Diamond Phillips didn't sing. That is the version with which she was familiar and not the original Richie, Richie Valens version, which sounds foreign to me too. Oh, I don't think I realized that wasn't the original Richie Valens needle drop. Yeah, and then the uh, the Los Lobos version and this soundtrack actually went on to be really popular. It's a strange anomalous thing because, you know, Disney will get all their all their singers to do covers, celebrity singers to do covers of their big songs, right? Like somebody completely different, like a Vanessa Hudgens or something sang the uh, the appropriate version of Let It Go that was going to be the the worldwide smash and then all anybody cares about is Adina Menzel. Yeah. They get like the pop version. Yeah. And so strangely, this soundtrack had the Los Lobos versions of the Richie Valens songs, which became hits. Additionally, uh, the guy who did uh, Summertime Blues, Eddie Cochran, he was played by Brian Setzer. And then the version of uh, Lonely Teardrops by Jackie Wilson in this movie was performed by another guy whose name I can't remember. And the soundtrack features that actor's version of the song. Howard Huntsbury? Yeah. So Howard Huntsbury did that cover. A shout out to Howard Huntsbury because that was a fabulous performance. Yeah. And obviously Brian Setzer is an old pro. Oh, yeah. He had the um, blonde faux hawk thing going on. Or no, bouffant. Bouffant. Mm-hmm. Pompadour. Pompadour. Yeah. You know, that that thing was filmed, that, uh, that series, that winter fest or whatever it was. The exterior for that performance was the Wiltern. Hmm. Yeah, but some L.A. stuff, and obviously the movie was centered around L.A., and they filmed the funeral procession into in San Fernando Cemetery where Richie Valens and his mother are interred. His mother was in the film when they're doing, like, the the video, the footage, the home video footage with Bob and the vampire thing. Oh, really? Yeah, she's, uh, and Richie's playing the guitar with his, uh, like his uncle, playing yeah, yeah. it over his shoulder with him. Yeah, the old lady next to him was, was, uh, was Connie... Valenzuela, who actually died three months after the movie premiered. Oh. And a lot of the the Valenzuela family was involved in the production, and indeed some of the profits went to the family. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think they had a really hard time with it because they associated Lou Diamond Phillips so closely with Richie. Uh, and even uh, Donna herself, the actual lady, 
she has dreams about Richie still to this day, or at least she did when she was interviewed. It was probably 20 years ago at this point. But in her mind and in her dreams, Richie's face has been replaced by Lou Diamond Phillips. Weird. And she has to remind herself that, she, yeah, it must be a, a surreal thing. But apparently his family on set particularly was on set during the coin toss scene outside of the airplane and were really emotional, had a really hard time. Can we talk about dreams for a sec? Yeah. You mean the uh, the playground, the recurring plane crash nightmare? Yeah. And then all the ensuing flying comments? Yeah, and I and I wondered, I was like, that's pretty ham-handed, right? That's pretty heavy-handed. This seems to be a standard, like a trope in, in these movies where they have premonitions of their death, and I think it's a lazy storytelling technique, except for the fact that the crash that he is dreaming about actually happened. Right, and he was spared. Yeah, he was at his grandfather's funeral, it's all true, but so many people in his class died, 70, 70 people, I think, were injured. And a plane crashed directly over a schoolyard in San Fernando Valley, not far from where we're recording this now. Yeah, that's pretty gnarly, especially from where I'm recording in my closet. And so, yeah, in this case, I think it works because it was actually true. He was afraid of planes, of plane crashes, uh, suffered a traumatic incident with with one and uh, ultimately died, which is some kind of twisted irony. Yeah, it gave his character an edge which he didn't have otherwise. So I agree that maybe the dreams had a place in the film, but all of the flying references collectively, they hit that pretty hard. Like it was a bit of a stretch when he's like, I thought you didn't like to fly or whatever. And he's like, no, but I like to drive fast. Yeah. We're fly up for that one. We fly up for that one. We oh, I told you, man, I don't fly. I'm going to fly in place of I'm going to be a star. Yep. I'm really flying. Yeah. It's like, come on. That plane, actually, apparently the exact model that uh, that they all died in. Very sad. Very sad. The day the music died. Yeah, it sucks. So let's talk a little bit about Donna. So Donna was his girlfriend at the time of the crash. And that must have been a huge bummer for her, especially if his professions of love and stuff for her were accurately depicted. But um, that actress would never be cast today as a love interest. No, you didn't think she did a good job? Uh, the The character of Donna was definitely pumped up a little bit uh, as his only girlfriend maybe in his entire life, but uh, some reports that have come out since then have, have uh, contra- contradicted that. She herself said they did, never did much beyond smooching. She would acknowledge that they had some makeout sessions, particularly at the drive-in, and that was hard for her to watch, and that they recreated it down to the Coke glasses that were uh, that were on set. But uh, as far as she knows, Richie died a virgin. And and looking back, you know, people attribute her sort of notoriety to her relationship with this guy. And she looks back and thinks, you know, what was I supposed to do? I was 16, 17. I didn't know much about anything. It's hard to associate the love of your life when you're, you know, barely able to, to conceive of what your life is at that point. Well, he certainly seemed to know. Yeah. They were teenagers, and certainly they were close, and she liked him, but doesn't know that she was in love with him. I mean, how much can you be at 17? Yeah. Well, her, I just wondered about her casting. Like, maybe she really looked like Donna, or maybe they were going for the innocent thing. But she seemed off to me, and maybe it was, but maybe it's also that 50s sensibility where they're all kind of like Bobby Saki. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of like, oh. 
I don't know. She she always just felt like the Donna to me because I didn't know any better. Um, by the the real lady's own admission, she was kind of a Hellcat, uh, rebellious, ran with a group of girls and was like her gang leader. Sneaked out several times to meet him and stuff, but uh, yeah, so she wasn't quite as clean cut as she was portrayed in the movie. Her dad's discrimination felt pretty dated to me. Really? I mean, I think it was fairly period accurate when in an era when they're changing the names because they're afraid that Valenzuela would damage the brand. But uh, that's how the dad really was. Uh, She had a really big falling out. Apparently after, in real life, after Richie died, he tried to capitalize on their relationship. He tried to get her into a recording studio and she recorded two songs, Now That You're Gone and something else, after he he died. And uh, she kind of recognized her dad as kind of an opportunistic money-grabbing kind of punk and and uh they had a falling out and i don't know that she ever really spoke to him after she moved out of the house at like 18. Hmm. yeah he did seem kind of punkish now that we talk about it she reminds me of elizabeth moss yeah i can see that kind of in the smile but so uh, i take but, everything you know. back that i said about her yeah, because you're endeared to Elizabeth Moss. And I, again, I think this this girl was maybe not the accurate portrayal of Donna in as much as it could, it could have been to the sort of the Valenzuela family uh, because they were so closely involved. But uh, I didn't think she did a bad job. You know what line was definitely cut out of the TV edit? Which one? I have to rape her to have sex. Yeah. I asked Kelly if she liked the Bob character and she said no. Because he was kind of a jerk. And while he's lovable in a strange kind of he loves his brother kind of way, I don't know that Bob is a good guy. I think that they hit the flying references equally hard as they hit the I love Richie and Bob is sidelined thing. Like over and over and over again, you see Bob marginalized and like looking in on some love or some fame or some affection that he wished he had. Yeah, it's a strange thing, right? The fact that he was such a prominent character in the movie, maybe it just further establishes Richie's sort of goodness and virginal sort of innocent quality when you have Bob, the hard-living, what was he, maybe 21 at at the most? Drug dealing, Um, convicted felon. But who's left when Richie's gone, you know? In the same way that Paul McCartney could never hope to live up to John Lennon's reputation, having been martyred and killed and the rebel you know i guess he had a really bad time after his brother died but his family all speaks of him in glowing terms they say yes he was a hard liver and definitely he wasn't fake in any sense he was who he was and uh, had a lot of problems but he came through all of that apparently and and to his family at least he tried to be the best person possible yeah and they i think they tried to redeem him at the end you know like he sobered up, at least for a time, and he had access to and was caring for his daughter. He and Richie had mended things before his death. I do feel very much that this is a family-centered movie, even down to Rosie and Bob and Connie and the whole family. I thought the daughters in the family were kind of interchangeable. His younger sisters was like, wait, are they cousins or are they sisters and where do they go? And now they're back and they're excited to move into their new house. Yeah, who were they? Yeah, they were Connie's daughters. They were just much younger daughters. I mean, relatively younger. Were they Steve's daughters? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. But Richie, who was only 17 at the time, maybe those girls were seven. I don't know. So did you like this movie? 
I like this movie. It's, it's hard. I was worried that going back and examining it critically would point out all the flaws and would kind of ruin it from a movie that I'd just watched continuously when we were younger. But I think it holds up pretty well. It was received well critically. And I think that the only thing that I would criticize was sort of how hammy maybe everyone was or exaggerated. I think, as you put it, certainly Isai Morales, he seems to chew the scenery a lot. And then we have the conventions of this sort of movie biopic and wondering how effective it is, especially in the face of music movies in the decades subsequent. But I think La Bamba holds up really well in a way that I wasn't really expecting. Um, I got Kelly on board, but she had reservations about La Bamba. And uh, I think it it's actually a good movie. It definitely feels enduring. And I don't expect a ton from it. And maybe that's why I felt satisfied seeing it. And I even got some extra things out of it, you know, having seen it as a, seeing it as an adult, because I don't yeah, think it I, always helps. Right. And like, I also don't remember or I or it wasn't included in the TV edit. Um, them going to the Tijuana prom whorehouse. Yeah, I clearly remember that. OK, well, I guess <laughs> I guess it was a necessary story point since that's where he's reintroduced to La Bamba. But I also don't remember them seeing the shaman with the snakes yeah. and stuff. And I don't remember, but I now will hold it forever in my heart when he goes, what is this? And then Bob <laughs> goes, Mexico. Like he sums up the whole mystical experience with a country. Yeah. And as far as Richie knew, that was Mexico having been his first time there. Exactly. Yeah. But his brother was doing his part, trying to inculcate his, his younger sibling. Good word. And apparently some version of that happened because one of the identifying factors in uh, at the crash site in order to uh, to identify his body was that tattoo on his arm. The flying guitar? Yep. I don't know if that's what it was, but definitely part of the reason he was successfully identified was because of the tattoo. Richie Valenzuela and his flying guitar. And then in Spanish, Ricky Ricardo Valenzuela y su flying guitar. <laughs> I mean, you kind of had to like, it was really endearing when she like mounted her whole American Legion campaign. Yeah. That was sweet. Yeah. And that's kind of the the, the point of the movie, I think, is that for all its flaws, it's kind of an endearing movie. I actually got kind of emotional watching it as an adult, that funeral procession, which I had seen countless times before. I think endearing is the right word for this movie. It affected me in a way that... Viewing it critically, I didn't expect to be hit by it emotionally. Yeah. As critically as I may have watched it, I wasn't looking to pick it apart. And I think you got to be pretty callous to not be affected by a story about a kid with a dream and like yeah. talent to back it up. And enough that, uh, you know, that we're talking about 34 years later. So what you got? I'll give it an all right rating. It was definitely an all right movie. And I like this movie personally and, you know, sort of critically. But uh, there's, there's you know, it's got some problems and it will never stand up as, as one of the greatest movies ever made. So thanks to Netflix for bringing back a highly watchable, entertaining, escapist film, even if it is a tragedy. Because I really enjoyed La Bamba and I definitely give it a good. So that's our talk on La Bamba. How would you say it with an accent? La Bamba. We'd love to know what you think about La Bamba. 
Give us a call, 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you to our Patreon patrons for your support. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electric acid.